Blog Talk Radio. We're protected because God has given us a living hope. That is to say, it's a hope built into our faith that cannot die. God has given us a faith that is energized by divine power that cannot be assaulted. No force is its equal. And God also protects us through a faith that is tested and tried. Welcome to Grace to You Weekend with John MacArthur. I'm your host, Phil Johnson. It's true in any team sport, really, at least at the professional level, 
The athletes who enjoy big contracts are typically the best at what they do. They're producers. They make few mistakes. And clearly, they help their teams because of the skill they bring to the game. Now, compare that scenario to salvation. Frankly, there's nothing you bring to God. God needs no one, and there's nothing that you or I or anyone else can do to make ourselves worth saving. So the natural question is, why does God choose to save unworthy sinners? And how do you know you won't cause him to undo what he's done for you? Examine the permanence of your salvation today as John MacArthur continues his study called God Won't Let You Go. Now, here's John. Let's go back to our text of 1 Peter chapter 1. And let me go back just uh, to what we said last time. First of all, we're protected by a living hope. Protected by a living hope. Verses 3 and 4, 1 Peter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, will not fade away. I love this word, reserved in heaven for you. Secondly, we are protected by God's own power. We just simply said last time, that phrase in verse 5, protected by the power of God, is intended to remind us that we are protected by the greatest power there is. Thirdly, and this is very important for us, we are protected by hope, we are protected by power, we are protected by trials. We are protected by trials. Look at verse 6. We rejoice even though now... For a little while, if necessary, if God determines that it's necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. Trials strengthen faith, and they reveal true faith. Look at James chapter 1. Verse 2 says essentially the same thing. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. You know, I guess there's something wonderful about getting to the age I'm at. People ask me, do you question your salvation? Sometimes young people ask me that. I, I'm struggling with whether I'm very young. Um, you know, the devil would hammer me with, with doubts. But the truth of the matter is, I don't question the true character of my saving faith because it's withstood so many trials. Every time you go through a trial, you see the nature of your faith. The trials don't help God find out what kind of faith you have. He gave it to you. It's not that He needs information about your faith. But they become a joy to you when you encounter various trials. Verse 3, knowing the testing of your faith produces endurance, and endurance has a perfecting result. What is a greater gift than to have the assurance of salvation? Anything better than that? If you've ever lived with doubts and fears and all of that, it's wonderful to know you've got the real thing. It's wonderful to see its capability disaster. In fact, I have found in my life that the more severe the trial, the stronger my faith is. The more my confidence in God rises. Second Timothy is another text that is helpful on this. Second Timothy 1, 8. Uh, Paul says, uh, join me in suffering for the gospel. 
according to the power of God. Verse 9, God who saved us, called us with us, but according to His own purpose and grace, granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. There is that doctrine of the election and predestination which is foundational to uh, our security. But he says in verse 10, Now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. For this reason I also suffer, but I am not ashamed. He's saying, I survive amazingly. In fact, I rise to the occasion. The, the, the greater the suffering, it seems as though, the brighter the shining testimony. And now Paul can say from personal testimony, middle of verse 12, I know whom I have believed. How do you know Him? Because He's manifested Himself. He's manifested Himself in all my suffering, in all my trials. And I know whom I have believed. I know that I have believed and I am convinced that He is able to guard what I have entrusted to Him until that day. What is that day? Redemption day, the day of Christ, the day you see Him face to face. I know whom I have believed. I know that I have believed. I know He is able, that is dunatas, He is powerful to guard what I have entrusted to Him. And by the way, that's paratheke, that's deposit, what I've deposited with Him, my life, my soul, my eternity. I know He's able to guard it. Faith never fails. He has given me a faith that survives it all. Real faith emerges from trials stronger than ever. You know, back to Romans 8 again. You just can't stay away from that chapter talking about this. But in Romans 8, Paul says uh, in verse 35, who's going to separate us from the love of Christ? Is there anything that can happen that can cause Christ to stop loving us? Or you could flip it over either way in the Greek. Is there anything that could happen that could cause us to stop loving Christ? Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword. You think he just uh, sort of grabbed those words out of the air? No, that's autobiographical. Been there. Tribulation, oh, daily plots against my life. Distress, without food, without clothing, cold, in the sea. Persecution, constant. Famine, often. Nakedness, as a prisoner. Beaten with whips, rods. In peril of robbers, in peril of my own countrymen, in peril of the Gentiles. He gives a whole list in Second Corinthians 11. Sword, been there, seen that, waved at me. And I'm telling you, in it all, though we are... Put literally on the brink of death all day long, we were considered a sheep to be slaughtered, verse 37, but in all these things we overwhelmingly what? Conquer. That's where the word Nike comes from. Nike, the conqueror. See, this kind of faith that God gives us rises in the trial. It rises. Now, I've never faced persecution. I've faced some pretty hostile environments. You have to put your faith on the line in some environments. I find a, a level of energy and a level of commitment and a level of um, conviction 
and a level of boldness in those environments that perhaps is even greater than others. And there is that, that work of the Holy Spirit so that that trial becomes, for me, the affirmation that the faith, not mine, but that He's given me is the real thing. Trials do, back to our text, produce distress for a little while. They come like fire to burn off the dross. And that's the point. Not only do they reveal your faith, but they purify it. And what emerges, 1 Peter 1, is a faith that is more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire. When you get your faith tested, it comes out purer, more precious. And I, I will tell you, you know, with that in your mind, you, instead of asking for God to protect you from trials, you should ask Him to make sure He puts you through all the trials necessary to give you the confidence that your faith is real. So we're protected. We're protected because God has given us a living hope. That is to say, it's a hope built into our faith that cannot die. God has given us a faith that is energized by divine power that cannot be assaulted. No force is its equal. And God also protects us through a faith that is tested and tried. There's something else here that I must mention to you, First Peter, number four in my little list. We are protected by eternal purpose. Look at verse 7. We are headed for something, the end of verse 7, to be found in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Our faith is designed to survive to the end. This is an amazing promise. We have a faith that hopes, a faith that is unassailable, protected by divine power, a strength of faith that is only made stronger through trial. We have a proven, tested faith that finds its fulfillment in the purpose and plan of God in a union with the Lord Jesus Christ at His appearing, at which time we receive glory, praise, and honor from God. That goes right back to the reason we were saved in the beginning. We were chosen so that we would be brought to eternal glory. You know what the Bible teaches about this. We'll be like Him. We'll have a body like unto His body. We have a heavenly home. He's preparing a place for us. We're just passing through this world. We're not citizens here. This momentary light affliction that we suffer is not to be compared with that glorious weight of glory that awaits us in His presence. We cry out for the redemption of our body because we know what God has prepared for those that love Him. You know all those verses. We are already, as it were, heavenly citizens. Our Father is there. Our home is there. Our life is there. The pledge of God is to bring us to eternal glory. And by the way, that was His pledge, not at the time of our hearing the gospel and believing it. That was His pledge to us in eternity past, long before we ever or anybody ever was even created. God predetermined then that we would be brought to eternal glory. That is to say, you don't understand salvation at all if you don't understand its three dimensions. There is 
the point at which you believe, there is the process by which you are kept, and there is the final salvation in which you are glorified. And when God predetermined to save you, He predetermined that all three would take place, not some part of them. That's why in Romans 8.18, Paul says, I consider the sufferings of this present time not worthy to be compared with the glory that's to be revealed to us. Whatever we might suffer here, we rejoice because it shows us we have a real faith and strengthens that faith. And none of that suffering is to be compared with the glory that God has predetermined for us. So we are protected by a living hope, divine power, trials, and the promise of eternal glory. Can I just give you one more? Number five, we are protected by undying love. We are protected by undying love. Verse 8, though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. That's the bottom line. We have a love for Jesus Christ. If anybody doesn't love the Lord Jesus Christ, 1 Corinthians 16, 22, let him be accursed. This is a profound statement about the nature of true salvation. You can believe the facts and not be saved. The devil believes the facts. The demons believe the facts. They know them to be true. The issue here is loving the Lord Jesus Christ. And you love me if you keep my what? My commandments. You love me if you desire my glory and my honor. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. If you were to define Christianity in its purest sense, you would have to use that word love. You can tell a Christian because they love Christ so much, it comes out in joy. It comes out in joy. Why do we sing? We sing because we're filled with joy. About whom do we sing? We sing about Christ. We love Him. What did Jesus say to Peter in John 21 when He wanted to restore Him? At the Sea of Galilee, he said, Peter, do you what? Do you love me? That's the way he defined his relationship. Do you love me? Peter says, I love you. He said, well, then do what I tell you. Feed my sheep. And he knows if we love him. First John 4.19 says we love him because he first loved us. You know, a, a true human relationship requires love and trust. Love and trust. So does our relationship with Christ. That's how it's really defined. And there's no such thing as a Christian who doesn't love Christ. And all your life long as a believer, you grow in your love for Christ. You grow in your affection for Him. That's why the Apostle Paul says that I may know Him. Because the more you love someone, the more you want to know them. Paul knew he was loved, and back to Romans 8 again, he knew nothing could separate him from Christ's love for him, but he also knew nothing could separate him from his love for Christ. I mean, isn't that the idea? You can hit me with whatever you want. You can hit me with tribulation, distress, persecution, nakedness, famine, sword, and nothing will change my love for Christ. Nothing. I love Him with a love that He gave me. Romans 5, 5, the love of Christ shed abroad in your heart. It's a gift from God just like faith. You've been given a supernatural faith. You've been given a supernatural love which never change. And so it is that undying love that holds on to us. It's a component of our faith. So we are kept through faith, verse 5, and now verse 9 finally. What is the end? Obtaining, listen to this, as the outcome of your what? Your faith. 
the salvation of your souls. That's why we say this, folks, that this doctrine should be called the perseverance of the saints, or better yet, the perseverance of faith. You have been given a faith that never perishes. You have been given a faith that is protected by the power of God, a faith that has a hope that never dies, a faith sustained by a divine power that can't be overthrown, a faith that is proven, tested, strengthened through trials, a faith that is designed for the fulfillment of eternal glory which was promised before the world began, a faith that contains within it an undying love for Christ. And the outcome of that faith will be the obtaining of the final salvation of your souls. Simply, folks, there is no escape from this reality. No escape. The result of this saving faith is your final salvation. The present salvation which you now experience is a result of this faith. The initial salvation was the result of this faith. And the final salvation will be yours because this faith will persevere and endure to the very end. That is the nature of this faith. It is nothing less than a permanent gift from God. And it's probably a good place to end if there ever is such a thing. Philippians 1.6, I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Does that not end the argument? If he started it, he'll what? You got it. That's John MacArthur wrapping up his series on Grace to You Weekend titled, God Won't Let You Go. Along with ministering here on radio, John also serves as president of the Master's University and Seminary. And now, John, going back to the last point you made today, that our salvation is secure because of the undying love of Christ, that's a wonderful truth. And yet, this doctrine is often debated. Why is that? Why is it that so many people resist the idea that once you're saved, God's not going to let you go? Well, I think because they've been taught bad theology. I think that's the primary source of this. Uh, the Scripture is clear. Uh, all that the Father gives to me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will not lose, but will raise him at the last day. Nobody falls through the cracks. Every person who is saved is a love gift from the Father to the Son. The Son keeps them, loses none of them, raises them all at the last day. Uh, that's that's what he said in John 6. And then in, in Romans 8, uh, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. Nothing, and there's a whole litany of possibilities. full of those promises, isn't yeah. it? And it's eternal life. Uh, Jesus says in John 10, no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. My Father is greater than all. So the Bible is completely crystal clear that you cannot lose your salvation. But this has been taught relentlessly through the history of the church, that you can lose your salvation. One of the things that contributes to it is a misunderstanding of people who for a while act like Christians and they walk away. People like Judas. People like Judas, yeah. But there's an answer to that in 1 John 2, 19. They went out from us because they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out from us that it might be made manifest they never were of us. Hmm. So when somebody walks away, they they never were true believers. And that is explicitly what 1 John 2, 19 says. So 
there's some theological gaps in the thinking of people who think you can lose your salvation. So we want to close those gaps. We want to fill them in with the truth. Again, I want to mention what we've been mentioning a number of times last week, the book called Saved Without a Doubt. You do not need to live in doubt and fear. If you're a true believer, you can live free from doubt in the joy and confidence of God's eternal gift of salvation. But you have to understand, to start with, what the Bible teaches. And that's what Save Without a Doubt will do. It'll give you the sound theology of eternal salvation. And then it'll take you to the second issue that comes up. You say, okay, salvation is forever, but how do I know I have it? There are answers to that question as well. And it doesn't have to do with the perfection of your life. It has to do with the direction of your life. Mm -hmm. What do you love? What do you long for? What do you desire? Who do you want to obey? Uh, how um, how horrendous is sin to you, and how how desirable is righteousness to you? So it's about your affections and your attitude and your longings and motivations. All of that is treated in the book, Save Without a Doubt. We'll send it free to anyone contacting us for the first time. 220-page book, by the way. And any of the others of you can order at a very reasonable price. Again, the book, Save Without a Doubt, How to Be Sure of Your Salvation. Right, and friend, nothing is more important or more necessary for your spiritual walk than knowing for sure that you are truly saved. So to pick up your copy of Saved Without a Doubt, free if you're contacting us for the first time, get in touch with us today. Go to our website, gty.org, or call toll-free 800-55-GRACE, or send us an email with your name, address, and request to letters at gty.org. Saved Without a Doubt, it's a book that shows you why salvation is secure and permanent. It can also help you understand where doubt comes from and why you or someone you know may not have assurance. That makes this book particularly encouraging for people who have been plagued by doubts for years. Again, we'll send Saved Without a Doubt to you for free if it's your first time contacting us. Just go to our website, gty.org, or call us at 800-55-GRACE, or send an email to letters at gty.org. And our website, one more time, gty.org. And now for John MacArthur and the entire Grace to You staff, I'm Phil Johnson. Thanks for being here today. And join us again next time. John's going to take an in-depth look at the gospel. Specifically, he's going to show you the gospel according to Paul. That's the title of the study he starts a week from now when we continue celebrating 50 years of unleashing God's truth one verse at a time on Grace To You Weekend.
God's Word, it's our authority. This is Ken Ham, CEO of the Evangelistic Apologetics Ministry of Answers in Genesis. Even as believers, it's easy to have our thinking shaped by the world. After all, we live in the world where the media and Hollywood impose their ideas on us constantly. When it comes to issues such as marriage, gender, origins, abortion and more, how can we know what we ought to think? Well, we need to start with God's Word as our foundation. Our culture can't be our ultimate authority. After all, it's a culture in rebellion against God and His Word. Instead, we must allow the Bible to shape our thinking. But we can't do that unless we're reading and studying all of God's Word. That's how we know how to build a truly Christian worldview. Be encouraged to start with God's Word when you explore our website at AnswersRadio.com. Find thousands of free articles, videos, and much more when you visit AnswersRadio.com. Oh, 
stem cells for research? This is Ken Ham, an author of the best-selling series, The New Answers Books. Stem cells are cells that haven't specialized yet. Now, they can become a heart cell, a nerve cell, or any other kind of cell. They're very valuable for research. And there are two kinds of stem cells, adult and embryonic. Now, adult stem cells can come from any human being outside the womb, regardless of age. Embryonic stem cells come from unborn human embryos. And in order to harvest these cells, a living human being, a tiny embryo, must be destroyed. In the hopes of curing disease, scientists have killed many unborn human beings made in God's image. This murder by abortion in the name of science should not continue. Get more life-affirming teaching at AnswersRadio.com and plan your visit to the full-size Noah's Ark at the Ark Encounter in Northern Kentucky when you go to AnswersRadio.com.
are the floodwaters. This is Ken Ham, one of the authors of the book on Noah's flood called A Flood of Evidence. After the flood, where did all the water go? Well, it's still here. 70% of our planet is covered in water. Now, the floodwaters can be found in our oceans today. There's still so much water that if you lowered the mountains and raised the ocean trenches, there's more than enough water to cover the whole globe. One of the Psalms says that after the flood, the mountains rose and the valleys sank. And we know from geology that our world didn't always look like it does now. For example, there was originally no Mount Everest. It was created by geological processes during the flood. As the mountains rose and valleys sank, water rushed into the ocean basins, where it is today. Discover more about Noah's Ark, the flood, the animals, and more by visiting AnswersRadio.com. You'll be encouraged by going to the Faith Building website of AnswersRadio.com.
orchids, beautiful variety. This is Ken Ham, inviting you to explore our botanical gardens at the Creation Museum. There are over 25,000 varieties of orchids, and each species seems perfectly adapted for the insect that pollinates it. So how do we get such staggering variety? Well, God created each kind with an incredible amount of genetic variability. This allows them to adapt in an ever-changing world. Some people will say this is evolution, but evolution is the supposed change of one kind of organism into a different kind. This requires the addition of brand new genetic information, and that's not what's happening here. It's the opposite of evolution. Discover more about creation, evolution, the age of the earth, and more at AnswersRadio.com. And subscribe to receive free daily email insights from Ken Ham at AnswersRadio.com.
Ecosystems, Evidence of God's Design. This is Ken Ham, co-author of the book against racism called One Race, One Blood. Our world has a huge variety of ecosystems. Think of the Arctic tundra, Amazon's rainforest, Australia's coral reefs. These are just a handful of the world's ecosystems, and many have smaller ecosystems within them. The plants and the animals in each one seem perfectly designed for their system. But God didn't specifically create polar bears, arctic wolves and snowshoe hares for the arctic. You see, the Bible tells us God created according to their kinds. God made a bear kind, a wolf kind, a rabbit kind, and he put so much variety in their DNA, they can fill a huge variety of ecosystems, including the arctic. Discover more answers when you visit our faith-affirming website at AnswersRadio.com and subscribe to receive free daily email insights from Ken Ham at AnswersRadio.com. Thinking how does one define wise Feels like yesterday I was a newcomer Fresh in the game, ready to make the truth thunder But as the beat plays, they lose wonder After a few summers, the band's ready for a new drummer Doesn't matter if you're not ready yet Yesterday I was a cadet, now they call me a vet But it's part of common sense that the artist time will end To the young, this topic can be hard to comprehend They don't come close to understanding How you can go from most demanded To abandoned in the ocean stranded Surrounded by the waves of your weariness Some things you only learn from age and experience And it's plain to me that all the famous men you see The time is coming when they will be a faded memory Cause one day you hot, the next day you not One day you on top, next day you get dropped Yeah, what in the world was your mind thinking? You couldn't see the sand of time sinking Cause one day you hot, the next day you not One day you on top, next day you get dropped Yeah, better plan for the future, kid Time catches up to everyone, no matter who yeah. it is Whatever happened to so-and-so, that's what they wanna know Eventually we learn that they all come and go Today's rising star, tomorrow dies with scars Today they all struck, tomorrow you washed up I remember watching Jordan's Hall of Fame speech Thinking this is what it's like to watch the lame reaching gas But he tries to grasp what lies in the past Never to return, what lies in the past Did he tell himself, was he lost or sober? Did he know it was all but over? The moment that AI crossed him over If I could be like, didn't include dying light Let's shine the light on the one they call Iron Mike Nowadays he's known for being all weird But back in 88, nobody was more feared at the peak of his powers, his opponents would retreat in moments he would eat and devour. Snuffed with punches, but we must discuss this. Crushed it just enough to trust his toughness. Pride brings us to justice. You puffed up with smugness? You gonna meet Buster Douglas. Amazing that, which blazed like petrol. The new praise that made the waves in the metro. Was praised for days, but just a phase like retro. And phase like echoes. Echoes, echoes, echoes. Cause one day you hot, the next day you not One day you on top, next day you get dropped, yeah What in the world was your mind thinking? You couldn't see the sand of time sinking Cause one day
next day you're not. One day you on top, next day you get dropped, yeah. Better plan for the future, kid. Time catches up to everyone, no matter who it is. What I'm speaking on is seriously welcomed by the few. Even no experience to tell you that it's true. On your radio station, this won't be found on the playlist. Wisdom, the sound of the sages, resounded for ages. The older I get, I notice it. The whole of the script, hmm, it's found in the pages. A holy writ, not the cash speech of the reverend. But what a man sees under heaven. Ecclesiastes 111. No matter who you are, death aims to stop you. Whether banker, doctor, or Frank Sinatra. Before your time is done, meet the timeless one. The dying, death defying, rising, shining sun. King Jesus astounds and amazes. He pounded the pavement to save those who were bound to their cages. So let us praise the one who made the Everglades. Our debt was paid, so in glory we'll never fade. Never fade. Never fade. That is One Day by Shannon. When you find out more about Shannon, go lampmode.com, L-A-M-P-M-O-D-E dot C-U-M dot C-U-M, that's what I said, lampmode.com. And his name is spelled S-H-A-I and L-I-N-N-E. And next we got Laura Shannon with Starling Mystery here on Truth Be Tolerate. Can't fathom what you plan next 
watch God's saving hand flex. Redeem the people north, south, east, and west. Glorious robes in the promised land dress. We stand blessed, all because of the Lamb's death. So as we're lifting up our praise to you, receive it, Lord. The object of our affection, who we adore, falling in our misery. You daughter into history, the pardon of iniquity, startling the mystery. The ocean, the plains, the mountains, the rain. Universe proclaims the glory of your name. And what am I that you called me to your side? And took this heart of stone and broke it open wide.
that GoFish was saved and want to find out more about them, go to GoFishGuys.com, G-O-F-I-S-H dot C-O, GoFishGuys.com. Here's from me, Melissa Cantrell. If you want to see Truth Be Told website, right go to TruthBeToldRadio.com. TruthBeToldRadio.com. See, I'm going to do another one from GoFish called I'll Fly Away.
you couldn't see the sand of time sinking Cause one day you hot, the next day you not One day you on top, next day you get dropped, yeah Better plan for the future, kid Time catches up to everyone, no matter who yeah. it is Whatever happened to so-and-so, that's what they wanna know Eventually we learn that they all come and go Today's rising star, tomorrow dies with scars Today they all struck, tomorrow you washed up I remember watching Jordan's Hall of Fame speech Thinking this is what it's like to watch the lame reach and gasp But he tries to grasp what lies in the past Never to return, what lies in the past Did he tell himself, was he lost or sober? Did he know it was all but over? The moment that AI crossed him over If I could be like, didn't include dying light Let's shine the light on the one they call Iron Mike Nowadays he's known for being all weird But back in 88, nobody was more feared at the peak of his powers, his opponents would retreat in moments he would eat and devour. Snuffed with punches, but we must discuss this. Crushed it just enough to trust his toughness. Pride brings us to justice. You puffed up with smugness? You gonna meet Buster Douglas. Amazing praise for days, but just a phase like retros and fades like echoes. Echoes, echoes, echoes. Cause one day you hot, the next day you not What in the world was your mind thinking? You couldn't see the sand of time sinking Cause one day you hot, the next day you not One day you on top, next day you get dropped, yeah Better plan for the future, kid Time catches up to everyone, no matter who it is What I'm speaking on is seriously Ancient, this won't be found on the playlist Wisdom, the sound of the sages, resounding for ages The older I get, I notice it the whole of the script, hmm, it's found in the pages of holy writ. Not the cash speech of the reverend, but what a man sees under heaven. Ecclesiastes 111. No matter who you are, death aims to stop you. Whether banker, doctor, or Frank Sinatra. Before your time is done, meet the timeless one. The dying, death-defying, rising, shining sun. King Jesus astounds and amazes. He pounded the pavement to save those who were bound to their cages. So let us praise the one who made the Everglades. Our debt was paid, so in glory we'll never Never fade, 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 and this is from their YouTube site of Wretches, and it's called Why Do Churches Dim Their Lights During Worship? Understanding that things say things without saying anything, or do we just go, whatever? Unfortunately, all too often these days, I fear that we evangelical Christians have a superiority complex. We're smarter than old dead people. What did they know? They didn't understand things the way that we do. We're trying to grow this place. You know, those old dead people, they studied the Bible too. They were filled by the Holy Spirit too. And they had a lot of time to consider these things. And maybe we should remember that. Not that tradition is inspired scripture, but that there was some wisdom in the way we used to do church. Let's continue taking a look at our list. And this is going to get so far up your nose. Please note... Again, not trying to tell you. 
that you should or shouldn't have a pulpit. I'm just asking you, did you even consider it before you removed it? You know, it was in the Old Testament, the book of where they actually built a pulpit before they read the Word of God. What's the purpose of a pulpit besides alliteration? It is so that the man isn't, hey, I'm telling you what to do this week. Instead, a rather sober-minded fellow would stand behind something that blocked him, gave him authority, made the man small. The bigger the pulpit, the better, because he was speaking from God to his church. It was an awesome thing. These days, I think without consider, I get the thinking behind it. You know, I want people to understand, you know, I'm just like them, and they can relate to me. That's what I want people to think. I get you want people to think that, but there's other thoughts to be thunk. For instance, the option would be, I want people to know that what they are hearing is not another speech. It's not another lecture. This is not something they can just catch anywhere. This is a solemn event, God's proclamation. What about, this is going to make you ballistic, paint, specifically in your children's area. Think for a moment, what does your kid's area look like in your church? What is on the walls? Now, you, you think those thoughts. Let me share with you what one Sunday school, kid's Sunday school area looks like versus another. Our first Sunday school has balloons on it. They've got panda bears, and, and they've got rainbows and sunshine and lollipops. Why? We want the kids to think this is a happy place. We want the kids to think this is a safe place. If we have visitors, we want parents to drop off their kids and go, okay, this is familiar. I get this. I see this at daycare. I understand what they're doing here. They're about kids. They like kids here. That is paint option number one. Paint option number two is a Sunday school that's painted in whatever color you want, even a kid's color if you choose that, but it has Bible verses. Not silly pictures of Noah's Ark with a giraffe sticking his neck out like they're on a just like a little Gilligan's Island cruise. Bible verses. Now, what does that say? It says something different. Bible verses say, we think this is so important, we're putting it on our walls. We want you to know we're about the Bible here, even if you still spit up on your mom's shoulder. It is the Bible that we build our lives on. Now, that's a different message, isn't it? Am I saying that one is a sin and the other is not? I'm not saying that. I'm suggesting we think about what are we doing even as we decorate the Sunday school area. And, oh, boy, what about this contentious issue? Because it is. Lighting. You know, there are meetings about lighting at a lot of churches these days. Do we have the lights up when we're singing? Do we have the lights down? Spotlight on the pastor when he's preaching. Or do we bring the lights up because some people maybe want to take some notes, but these days they've got iPads so that they can do it in the dark. Should we spotlight the pastor? What does that say? He's the star. Who should be the star of a sermon in a church service? Last time I checked, Jesus. What about setting the mood? All right, what does that say when we set the mood for the church? It says that our religion is somewhat mystical, that there is a way to feel God by whether or not your, what is that dark part of your eye, the, that part of it is open wide or not. Is that what our religion is, or is our religion a thinking religion? I'm aware, I see. Furthermore, if during worship 
the spotlight is on the worship team. The spotlight is on the worship team. Furthermore, if I'm worshiping in the dark, I'm not worshiping as a congregation. I'm worshiping as myself. Worship, when we come together, should be congregational, not like I'm singing in my car. Now, should these things be laws for you that, oh, there's no way that you should ever change the lighting? You, you make those decisions for your church. The question that I am asking is, do you think about it? Do you ponder it? Do you consider these things when it comes to pulpit, paint, and lighting? Richard, and here's another one from Richard. This is called, maybe this is why Dr. Mulder isn't being clear. On Trippie Tori. This is Wretched Radio with Talk Real. Clarity in confusion. This is Wretched Radio Shepherds Conference. For my money, the best conference on the planet. Dr. John MacArthur celebrating 50 years of faithful ministry, joined by other men who have been faithful to the gospel for decades. And yet, in the Q&A that was led by Phil Johnson, we saw a pretty, a pretty tense, pretty awkward exchange regarding the issue of social justice. Many, 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 many issues will confront you throughout the course of a single day if you're an evangelical who's plugged in. Many of those issues, you can respond pretty quickly. This issue, I think we need to slow our roll and think this through, putting the best construction on everything, striving for unity, until we can have some clarity on a subject that is big, unwieldy, and it has the potential to explode not evangelical Christianity, conservative evangelical Christianity. If the People with differing views go at each other with guns loaded, and there is ultimately a split. Here's what you would see. John MacArthur, Phil Johnson, and those who agree with them, and I do, by the way, on one side, and then you're going to see everybody else who has differing views on different aspects of social justice on the other side. So say goodbye to Al Mohler. Don't listen to Ligon Duncan anymore. Mark Dever, bad. Can you imagine that happening? The devil would shout for joy. Right now, conservative evangelical Christianity, it is growing. Well, well, well the, while the bigger gospel coalition thing appears to be struggling right now, I, I and, 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 the amount of people who aren't really conservative kind of make up, I think, a number that is probably exaggerated. Even so, I think conservative evangelical Christianity is actually growing. And that is a good thing. Imagine if that conservative circle were broken because of this issue, because we rushed to judgment. The stakes are very high here, and we are going to offer grace, and we're going to be patient because what we heard at the Q&A was a lot of confusion, and I believe that is our clarity, that we are simply in the process of working this through, and until it is worked through, oh, please, let's not draw lines and draw sides. Let's, let's not do that. I, 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 
let's just let's just for yucks say that some of these guys that have differing views on social issues, let's just say they leap out of the closet and they say, I'm a card-carrying Marxist. <laughs> I believe that the gospel needs to have some sort of message of racial reconciliation or it's heresy. If they do that, there'll be a divide. But until we get to that level of clarity, the confusion is our clarity to cause us to go, I can breathe. I'm just going to slow down a little bit. I'm going to work through this. And that is what we're going to endeavor to do right now. Let's listen to some of the men that were at the Shepherds Conference Q&A. And I think if we can be charitable, I, I think we're going to hear two things. That, that, that some of the fellows that, that some people have been kind of leery about, they dropped plenty of hints that they're thinking this through and they're maybe a little bit more conservative on it than what meets the eye. Let me give you a case in point. This is Dr. Al Moeller. I'm afraid we're going to lose an enormous number of, uh, of evangelicals uh, to uh, various kinds of social gospel because that's a lot easier to find satisfaction in than evangelism. That was an excellent statement. You, you take that alone. That was an excellent statement. And if I didn't know who uttered it, I'd say, okay, well, that's a guy that I would probably agree with on all of the aspects of social justice. But, I, and right now, quite honestly, I, 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 I don't have enough clarity from Dr. Moeller to know, but nevertheless, I would listen to that statement and go, yeah, yeah, that's spot on. And yet, he has some different shadings on the issue than other people do. So what do I do with it? I applaud that. He's right. We're losing evangelicals to a, a socially infused gospel. And becoming liberal and doing good is a lot easier than evangelizing. That's an outstanding observation. We can rejoice in that, can't we? Even as we disagree on other issues? even as it lacks clarity. And I think that's the, the other consideration here, that, that there have got to be some things that are being considered by these men that we are not aware of. Let me give you a case in point. The Southern Baptist Convention has a history. If you go back 150 years, give or take 160 years, the Southern Baptist Convention was the pro-slavery denomination. There was a split, and the Southern Baptists were the people who were for slavery. That's how it began. There were leaders, Southern Baptist Seminary presidents, the founders of it, they were slave owners. There were churches in the Southern Baptist Convention that into the 70s would not allow full membership for black people. I mean, that, that's, that's kind of profound. And right now, there is a tremendous amount of societal pressure and, I think, pressure from left-leaning social justice people that, it, that, that, that is so crucial in the mind of Dr. Al Mohler that if he biffs it on this, if he doesn't handle this hot potato, and it is a hot potato, if he doesn't handle it rightly, uh, 
They'll see a split in the Southern Baptist Convention. They'll see a split at Southern Baptist Seminary. Could he? I'm not saying that he is thinking that way, but could he be? And I think the answer is, yeah, he sure could, and that would be to put the best construction on it. Okay, I'm not walking in his shoes. He's feeling a whole lot of pressure. That seminary has grown. He was the one installed to be the conservative leader of it, and he has for decades. And now he sees the issue, perhaps. I'm speculating, but I hope this is a positive speculation, which I think then gives me the, the liberty to do that because I'm not trying to be critical, just the opposite. He's looking at it and going, if I biff it on this, what happens if I, I get fired and the seminary turns liberal again? Or the denomination splits over this. Uh, he believes, I'm speculating, that it has the power to do that. Would that be a reason that he doesn't want to clarify everything and be nailed down by definitive questions? And I think the answer to that is most certainly a possibility. And so I put the best construction on it and go, okay, he's dealing with stuff I'm not. And that is something I think we need to learn to accept and that we need to be comfortable with, that we can live with some confusion, a lack of clarity, because what is clear is there's stuff that's swirling that I'm not privy to, I'm not engaged with, but because of the jello, because of the men that we are talking about, we are going to see this thing through, not back down on what we believe is right, but work through it with the goal being unity. Isn't it possible that Ligon Duncan has some issues that he's dealing with? Isn't it possible? And, and again, I'm speculating, but I hope positively to help this swirling ball of confusion. Mark Dever, he heads up X9 Network. He's pastoring a church. He is in Washington. You could probably throw a rock and hit the White House. That's how close he is. I think he probably has politicians. In fact, he did say that there are some politicians in his congregation. Maybe he's thinking about them when he's not being very typical Mark Dever-like, very clear, very forthright. Is it possible that he's working with some people in the Gospel Coalition and together for the Gospel behind the scenes to bring some clarity to this? And I think the answer to that is, a yeah, that's definitely a possibility. So I'm not going to get frustrated. I'm going to be thoughtful and charitable. T4G was largely created out of the concern that there was confusion over what the Gospel is. Right. And uh, confusion, and, and by the way, we, I will acknowledge to you that, uh, that there are clarifications that T4G needs to make with my partners sitting here uh, and will make. What did, he, what did he just say? What did he just say? You know, maybe you didn't get anything out of it or very little because it seemed to be, to be very nonspecific. Why? I thought he was actually being a gentleman there. Look, I, he said right here, they're, they're, he, what he basically said is, we've got disagreements right here, Ligon Duncan, Mark Dever, myself, and we've got to clarify that stuff. But he didn't do it when we wanted him to, how we wanted him to, and he didn't do it definitively there. But it's, it's pretty clear he's working behind the scenes, and he's trying to move these pieces to stave off damage and not create damage. 
Is it possible that we could be charitable in that regard and maintain some unity? I sure hope so. This is Wretched Radio. One Sunday morning, G. Campbell Morgan preached this extraordinary message on on prayer. And a proper English woman came to him in the lobby after the service was over. She had on white gloves and took G. Campbell Morgan's hand with her white gloves and said, Mr. Morgan, can I pray about little things or do I only pray about big things to God? G. Campbell Morgan looked at her and said, Dear woman, everything in your life is little to God. (laughs) What they needed to see is that no prayer was too hard to answer, no circumstance too hard for God to overturn, no, no obstacle too hard to remove, no door too hard to open, No heart too hard for God to humble. No soul too hard for God to save. Perhaps your prayers are puny because you worship a puny God, and it keeps you from asking, seeking, and banging on the door. First, perhaps you think God doesn't listen. Perhaps you think God doesn't care. But perhaps worse, you think that God can't do anything about it. That is a really puny God. When we remember that God is in control of everything and has the power to do anything, you like our situations, they're, they're, they're not completely worthless. There's nothing really big happening in our lives. But to God, It is just no big deal, and that's not to minimize perhaps the difficulty that you're going through, but it is to recognize that God can absolutely do something about it. Is it possible that you have been fretting over the state of the world? Maybe you watch cable news a lot, and you think, ay, 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 you watch the stock market, it's woo, 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 and it's based, somebody sneezed in Taiwan, And the stock market falls, and you're gripped by national affairs, and it causes you to be wobbly. That is when we need to remember who is in charge of nations. Oh, the nations are like a drop from a bucket. Verse 15. And are regarded as a speck of dust on the scales. In other words... All of the nations that are threatening Israel, all of the nations that are are stressing and causing their worry and anxiety, Isaiah is saying they are so insignificant compared to God that they are like a a speck of dust on on scales. They, They do not even weigh in. Empires come, empires go. Political parties and politicians, they're in one day, they're out the next. Why? Is it because we haven't been active enough in the political scene? No. It's because God is sovereign over nations. I had a lamp at home that had a lion, and it represented the British Empire. And the paw of the lamp is upon a globe. And it shows the dominance of the British Empire in the 19th century 
over the entire earth. But in reality, the line of the tribe of Judah has his paw upon the globe. And he dominates the world scene by the carrying out of his purposes here upon the earth. Puny view of God equals lots of anxiety. A high view of God brings about the fruit of peace. Once again, that was from Wretched from their YouTube channel. Wretched, W-R-E-T-C-H-D. That's how you find it. They actually call something else. Um... Let's see. And um that's uh it's Todd Friel. Um and uh see and yeah, sorry, I'm gonna look for it. But um thanks for listening to Truth Be Told Radio. I think it says yeah, Steve Lawson. That's the one that was everyone speaking. And all I'm going to do now is I'm going to play a song for you. This is, this is, let's, you need to walk here on Tributory. And this to you, I really hope you hear my heart When thinking about describing you, I really don't know where to start Can't start at the beginning, cause you are before the beginning Way before the beginning, and this fallen world's distorted opinions It was just a holy trinity, ruling from infinity Glory blazed tremendously, loving one another endlessly Billions and billions of years ago, outside of what we know as time Nobody else was there to know, but Lord, here's the thing that blows my mind As long ago as that was Long ago as that was, you have not changed, Lord. Oh Lord, Lord, Lord. As long ago, as long ago, as long ago as that was, you're still the same. You have not changed. What can that mean? But my God is immutable. Immutable, you are beautiful. You never change. You remain the By far. Not just because of what you do, but simply because of who you are. There's none like you in existence. You are God and you need no assistance. Even though we show you resistance, you said Jesus to close the distance that existed between God and man. According to your sovereign plan, we changed many times in one lifespan. I changed even since this song began. Lord, I'm so glad that you're not like us. All that you do will certainly last. You are the rock that we can trust. Shows us back in eternity past. As long ago as that was. As long ago as that was. Have not changed, Lord. Oh, Lord, Lord, Lord. As long ago, as long ago, as long ago as that was, you're still the same. You have not changed. What can that mean? But my God is immutable. Immutable, you are beautiful. 
at some level, but what we want to do is address an issue. There are many Christians who struggle, and they struggle alone because of the fact that they suffer, whether it be physical ailments, whether it be anxiety, depression, just stress of life. So many Christians struggle with suffering, and yet they do it alone because most of us are too ashamed to let others know that we're struggling. We struggle alone because we think that there's something wrong. As Christians, we shouldn't be struggling at all. We should just have the answers, and yet that's not the case. There's many of us who struggle, whether it be within our marriage, whether it be with our children, whether it be with physical ailments. I want to let you know of a conference coming to Freehold, New Jersey, to help with this. It is called the Sanctification Through Suffering Conference. It is going to be held at Chinese American Bible Church in Freehold, New Jersey. You can get all the information and the speakers. The speakers will be Justin Peters, who if you know him, you know he struggles physically. Frank Mullis, Colleen Sharp, and Joe Suazo. And we will have this conference. You can get all the details and register at strivingforeternity.org slash conference dash on Dash suffering. So it's strivingfraternity.org slash conference dash on dash suffering. Get all the details and I hope to see you there. This podcast is part of the Striving for Eternity ministry. For more content or to request a speaker or seminar to your church, go to strivingforeternity.org.
all I got for a show today. No, I heard it so many seconds. <laughs> um, and I'm going to go out with Yancy and Friends singing the VR Billy. Thanks for listening. Bye for now.